broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. It's just been uh, the first couple of drives of the games. They're really slow for us, you know. I think it's taking us a little time to get the blood flowing and everything, but uh. I mean, it's a young team, man. We still growing. We still some guys still learning. Uh, but uh, I'm excited about this next upcoming week because I feel we're gonna play a lot faster. Pet it's DJ Hayden, Jaguars cornerback. <laughs> I like DJ Hayden. I I don't think he's playing great football right now. I, I but you know sometimes I think you don't play your best football because you're not surrounded by guys playing good football. So you're worried about everybody else. Then he kind of indicate it's almost like if you read between the lines. You know, people say this about Rasheed Mathis. When Rasheed Mathis was at his end of his Jags career, mm-hmm. it, the Jags fans were all over Rasheed. Mm-hmm. They're like, "What's wrong? He stinks! Ah, all this stuff. He's mm-hmm. done." They were, I mean, they were all over him, right? Yeah. If you, I don't know if you remember. I mean, I guess I, I was kind of naive to that the outside noise a yeah, little bit. But they, I mean, they were all over Rasheed. You know how good he was. You knew how good he was in the locker room. Well, I always thought Rasheed got. The, the raw end of that from the fans because if you looked at what was around him, mm-hmm. it was all these young guys or, quite frankly, not enough talented guys. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, didn't have a, a big pass rush either. And so, yeah, I mean, on the, top of that, that didn't have that. But yeah. he was... Ex- I mean, you get exposed when you got nothing around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's I think it's more difficult. So... I think DJ Hayden, maybe that's a little bit what's going on. And it's interesting to hear him say, hey, I think we're going to play better. We're going to play faster. Young guys think, right? It doesn't come second nature to them. But I will say this about this scheme. That's the one thing about this scheme. It's pretty simplistic. I mean, isn't it the idea of it? Even young, old, whatever, yeah. go in and play fast. I mean, yeah. you don't really have to think that much in this scheme. I mean, that's supposed to be the advantage of it. Well, and I'm just, Rasheed Mathis, too, by the way, don't forget, he spent three great years in Detroit. Well, that's my point. Okay. I yeah, mean, he me, went over to Detroit he and there. he was yeah. very good. Yeah. Tyson Alualu, still playing at Pittsburgh. One of the best. He's playing nose technique, by the way, yeah. now. Gives you the nose. So, yeah. Um, but to answer your question, does that make a difference with Hayden? Does it make a difference where do you have to be surrounded by great players? Or and, good. Or good players, sure. Um, I believe so, yeah. Right, because I call it the Cleo Mack effect. I think last year, Cleo Mack, if you look at his sack numbers, they were definitely down. Remember when Cleo Mack first came in, the Chicago Bears, and he essentially turned the entire city around? Like, all of a sudden, the Chicago Bears yes. were like, watch out for this defense, man. Like, he single-handedly, like, turned the season around for them. Well, then we go to last year, and I think he had, like, I think it was like six sacks, seven sacks possibly, but not Cleo Mack type of numbers. Like, I've hardly heard his name called, really, in the exactly. last two seasons, exactly. if I'm being honest. Now, I don't watch every Chicago exactly. game. But. Now, whether you want to debate, well, they don't have a good three technique. I think Hicks is pretty good this year. But whether you want to debate, well, the linebacker outside, like, on the other side of him isn't that good, Leonard Floyd last year. You can debate all this stuff. But the point is, is how much talent does he have around him to be successful? And I just think that talent, um, you know, and that energy – it's contagious. If you have one guy who's fantastic, the other guys have been, like, eventually you got to play up to their standard or you're going to be gone, right? The problem is that when the standard's so low and you don't have those guys, it's like, well, where's the mark going to be? Like, where are we going to set the, the the bar right now? Because the bar is set so low. But when you have, you know, like defenses, like probably like the Ravens right now, when you have defenses like the 49ers where it's like, there's a level of expectation that you got to play at. And if you don't play at that, sorry, man, I don't care what your background is, you're gone. Simple yeah. as that. So, that's the difference right now between a great defense and where the Jaguars are at. Right? His expectations are obviously high because of the town around them. 
expectation on this Jaguars defense. Like you, you have Josh Allen, you got Miles Jack, Joe Schobert, Hayden. Hayden. I you know, but like you know, cool. I think it's good normally. Yeah. It just hasn't been. But yeah, I think listen, they're readjusting the standard. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, they mm-hmm. got rid of so many players. That's not an excuse. It's reality. I mean, and so Hayden might be taking the brunt of that. Is Josh Allen taking? Josh Allen has to figure out how to. Get sacks without Calais Campbell on the other side and without Yannick Ngakwe in there. He's going to trust a new set of people yeah. and players. I mean, that, the reality is that uh, is, nobody likes to hear that, but that could take more time than people want to realize. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just don't know if anybody's any good anyway. Is Taven Bryan any good? I mean, how good is Avery Jones? Is Gotsis any good? I mean, how good are these guys that they're playing with? And I think right now a lot of people would say, well, they're not very good. Uh, and even in the Jags secondary, I mean, C.J. Henderson, very inconsistent. Can D.J. Hayden trust that Trey Herndon, C.J. Henderson, Andrew Wingert, mm-hmm. and Josh Jones are going to be in the right spots? Or is he thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't do this or this or this, and then all of a sudden you get off what your job is yeah. because you're thinking about other people's jobs? I mean, that's just – again, should it happen? Probably not. But does it happen? Oh, Absolutely. At the end of the day, I can sit here and bore the listeners and say, well, obviously you have the defensive line has to work with the secondary, but I can go even more in depth and I can say the three technique has to work with the edge rusher in terms of creating pressure, right? There's a reason why people want to go play with Aaron Donald. Do you know why? Because he demands um, attention. You have to cover Aaron Donald because if you don't, it's going to be a long day for your quarterback. The fastest line to a quarterback is a straight line. Nobody runs a better straight line than Aaron Donald, right? But ask Dante Fowler last year. Ask Clay Matthews last year how their numbers were because of Aaron Donald. They're pretty good. I think they both had over 10 sacks. Dante Fowler got paid. He's in Atlanta right now. I think he only has one sack this season. We'll see. But my point is, is that you have to work together. Same thing in the secondary. If you can't trust your safeties as a cornerback, well, then you're not going to win a lot of games, right? You're going to see a lot of breakdowns because now if I'm a corner, I'm trying to press too much. I'm trying to do too many things because I know in the back end, oh, well, if I don't cover them as much as I can, it's probably going to be a touchdown, right? So you have to work together, and that's the problem with this team right now. We have great players. You have Miles Jack, um, you have Josh Allen, you have Chase on, you know, CJ Henderson showing some glimpses, but the problem is that you don't have the guys around them to make them great because they're not working together. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars should set a team record in the last few years for the amount of blitzes that they run coming up Sunday against Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I think mm. I understand. Listen, everybody's blitz happy, right? There's t- I, I've said this before. This is what happens. If your defense isn't playing well, go blitz. Why aren't they blitzing more? If your offense isn't playing well, run the two minute offense. Go ahead, run the two minute offense. You'll fix it. That's the two throw. Then every coach doesn't do that. And that's not what the answer is. My point is a little bit different. This isn't necessarily about fixing your defense, although it kind of is a little bit about fixing your defense. Mm. It's more about dictating and forcing the issue. You know, you watch some of these plays around the weekend from college to NFL, and especially in the NFL. When you send the house, even the veteran quarterback, man, they don't have a lot of time. They've got one read and one chance. That's it. You eliminate it. Well, you do it against a young guy, now you're really forcing the issue. And also, what else usually happens when you blitz? Even if the guy gets it off and maybe even completes it, he usually gets hit. Yeah. Joe Burrow, has he got hit a lot yesterday against Philadelphia. I think the Jaguars need to bring it, man. They need to force the issue. I don't think the defense has much to lose in that regard. Did you watch the Eagles game yesterday? I didn't watch front okay, to back, well, but I watched watch, enough of it. How many sacks did the Eagles have yesterday? It was a lot. And I, I'm trying to look it Handful up right maybe? now. 
I think it was like it had a six or seven. I if mean, I'm in my mind, the play that stands out is the one Malik Jackson absolutely crushes oh, yeah. Burrow. Yeah. But I don't think that was a sack. But he absolutely just right. destroys him. Well, I gotta look that up real quick. But I mean. I can make my point without it. All I know is the Eagles were in the backfield all day, all right? And the Eagles had a lot of sex. And I watched a lot of that game just because I know that the Jaguars are playing the Bengals next, and I wanted to see what the Bengals are bringing to the table and how the Jaguars stacked up against them. And I'm going to say this. You're campaigning right now for blitzing and getting the quarterback, and I like the energy. Uh, I like the mindset from you, Brent. But I'm going to be honest. You said this is an important game for a couple reasons, right? And we'll get into those reasons later. This is an important game. Because if your defensive line cannot generate pressure with four on this Bengals offensive line, then you gotta you gotta tear the whole thing down. Because watching the Eagles yesterday and Jim Schwartz is notorious for this. Jim Schwartz does not believe in blitzing. I played for a Jim Schwartz defense back in Detroit. He does not believe in blitzing. He believes that you know what? We get the guys that we need to run our defense and we're gonna send four every single time. Now yeah, he'll throw a little wrinkle here or there, or there, but no, the Eagles rush four all the time. And we saw what they're able to do against the Bengals. And I would probably take with all due respect that I think Fletcher Cox is still a heck of a player. I think Malik Jackson is great. But as far as Red Rush is concerned, I would take our edge rush or the Eagles edge rush, more than likely. So with that being said, if the if the Jaguars can't get home on this team with four, you got major problems. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I guess here's my curiosity, man. It's like last week before the Miami game, we said, hey, if you get the coin toss, take it. Mm-hmm. The Jags were like, well, and, and my guess is let's give this another week. I mean, we, we figured that three weeks in and getting a little more comfortable. Let's give it where home or against the Dolphins. We're not against the two offensive lines of Indy and Tennessee. Let's give this another week. We try it again. And this is the way to do it. We, we trust our defense. We think we're going to be better. <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. My point in your, in your, um, take there, which you're probably correct, but at one and two in the way your defense is played, I don't want to know the answer. I don't want to know the answer. I don't want to wait around for the answer. I don't want to wait around to say, well, shoot, I guess we couldn't get home with four and we got to rip this thing up. Hmm. I feel like you got to listen. It's one thing. People will tell you if you're playing Brady, if you're playing Breeze, if you're playing Aaron Rodgers, playing Russell Wilson, you're playing these veteran savvy guys that have been around the block. It's blitzing can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Philip Rivers, they know where to go. They, they're not fooled by it. Young guys, totally different. And. I think they're playing a young QB. He's talented. Fine. I give it to him. But he's still a young QB around a miserable offensive line. Mm-hmm. I am not sitting back and waiting for my guys that can't get home through three games to get to him. I'm going See, after him. And, and also, man, it would be different. I think they blitz like just twice against Tennessee. The Jack, the, 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 the book on the Jags is they don't. They don't. They were not going to bring pressure much. Mm. Now, Doug Marone said on first and second down they did bring more pressure against Miami, and so I don't know what the numbers were. But the book on the Jags is they're not on this scheme is you're not going to because they know exactly what you said. You want to get home with four to make it work. Yeah. Man, I'd be ripping it up now, and it doesn't mean you rip it up for the rest of the season. But in this game, which is kind of a pivotal game for Doug Marone and this football team to get back on track against the poorest offensive line, the rookie quarterback. Oof, I would start that thing. Mm. With getting after that guy and making sure he knows you're there, especially because no, I, he's going to be in the cold tub all week after what happened to him in Philly. No, I agree, without a doubt. And listen, if you're asking me what I think about Joe Burrow, I think he's the real deal. I think this guy could be special for years and years to come, all right? I mean, he's got moxie. He literally has it all, and we know he can take a hit, right? Because Malik Jackson hit him, got back up and said, let's go get it some more. So with that being said, um, 
you got to put you got to make Burrow feel uncomfortable, and I get that point. From the blitzing standpoint, though, I'm just going to say this: you want to talk about what this team is built and not built for? Well, if you're Todd Wash, you would say we're not built for blitzing because that's not what we believe in. Now, whether he truly buys into that or not, it is what it is. But like, that's not what he supposedly believes in. With that being said, though, and this, and I'm surprised you kind of said that. I'm surprised that you said, "All right, we got a blitz," and um, you know, with the whole coin toss thing, you want to see him. Gardner Minshew probably go first up with the defense out there. I get that, but like, what? How can we protect a team so much, right? Like I've heard you say before that you know you can't buy into all these players' feelings, like all this stuff. It's like, listen, at the end of the day, you have to go out there and make plays. That's what you're paid to do, right? So how much falls on the coach and yada yada yada? But you mean to tell me right now that? We can't, I mean, you know, we have to blitz. We can't uh, defer to the second half because we have to protect our guys on defense and we have to make them feel good. We have to cater to their motivations and we have to cater to their, you know, I guess mental mindset where it's like, well, I don't want to put them out there because it's going to go bad again and then who knows what's going to happen. Like, what are we talking about, man? Like, how much can you possibly protect the defense before it's time for them to go out there and do their job? So if I'm Todd Wash, I'm like, listen, you guys rush four. And if you can rush four, then so be it. Then we got something here. If you can't rush four, then I am going to blitz, and I'm going to blitz the house on every single down to affect Joe Burrow. And then after the game, I really need to seriously reevaluate where we are right now as a defensive line. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Either way, if they do start that way, then they got to pull the plug sooner on it if it's not working. They can't oh, wait sure. until 21 to 7. You can't wait for the 15 minute halftime talk. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't do it to make adjustments. I actually do think the football team has made some adjustments in the second half, the last two games. It's just been too late. I mean, it hasn't even mattered, really, some of their adjustments. And quite, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know how much is adjusting in that Miami game and how much was just, hey, let's see if we can get out of here without getting hurt as as the Miami Dolphins, you know. Uh, but, listen, I, it's not about the – I understand what you're saying because I have said that before. We can't be concerned about guys' feelings and stuff. It's not. I, it's not protecting individuals and personalities and, and psyches. It's really just doing what's better for your football team and your strength. Like most teams want to play to their strength. The Jags' strength right now is on the offensive end of the football field. Their identity has a better chance to be on the offensive end of the football field. I don't care about 31 minutes into the game when I'm going to get the ball in the second half kickoff. Mm. I want to care about minute number one Mm. because I've fallen behind in three straight weeks. So my first adjustment is let's go give the the, the, the unit that is the best on our team the chance to go out there and set the tone. For so many years around here, the unit that was best on the team was the defense. Correct. made a lot of sense to go set the tone. And most teams are built where it's like, uh, yeah, we'll take the second half because you could get that bonus. And second half, everything's going to be close. We could set the tone in the second half. Well, given the fact of the way this thing has started three weeks in a row, I just don't think you can take that chance if you're Doug Marone. It has nothing to do with the psyche. It's more just it's right in front of us. I mean, the the evidence is – Put your offense on the field, see if you can get a lead, and then maybe your defense settles in with the lead. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I see what you're saying, but at the end of the day, like, if you watch the Eagles or if you watch the Chiefs, like I think two better offensive teams and obviously defensive teams, I mean, I think they're going to defer it. They will, you know, right? they will. Like, because like they're confident saying, you know what, either we stop or we don't, but who cares because we're going to go out there and score ourselves. And by the end of the game, we're going to have more points. I can't say that with the Jaguars. No, you know? no, they're not there. I mean, that's yeah. just reality. Uh, they're not there. Uh, and I, I'm just interested to see what this team would look like playing with the lead. They might still not be good defensively. Mm-hmm. They, they really might not. I, I don't know. Uh, they might turn into the Falcons. They might have a lead late in the game and then blow it. Yeah. They might. I just don't know because we haven't seen that. I know this. You can't play in the NFL down two touchdowns every week. You just can't. 
I mean, that, you can't survive that way unless you're going to play the Falcons every week. Sure. <laughs> and then they'll find a way for sure. <laughs> they will find a way. All right. Uh, all this talk about offense and defense today, yeah. and it's got me thinking. And then there are the Florida State uh, Seminoles. And by the way, real quick, so the Eagles, they had eight sacks so against did, the Bengals. Eight sacks. Eight sacks, man. Wow. Eight sacks. And they hit them a heck of a bunch more. Yeah. So, and they rushed for predominantly the entire game. How about so a little uh, FSU at four? Mm. You know, if you want to debunk my offense, defense doesn't matter, and offense is, is flying high, and you can get like a junior high team to run a good offense. Yeah. Well, then there's Florida State, which actually is more of an indictment on them. In this day and age where everybody's got an offense and everybody moves the ball, they can't move the ball. I mean, their, offense, their defense isn't any good either. Mm-hmm. Their whole team isn't any good. Their program right now isn't any good. I mean, it is an absolute epic disaster in Tallahassee right now, and there's no other way to describe it. We're describing it as your home of the FSU Seminoles here on ESPN 692, but there's no other way to describe it. I mean, it is so bad. That must have been nauseating to watch for Mike Norvell from home on Saturday night. It was rough, man. And then one could say, like, well, how much did that affect the team? You know, listen, I mean... Mike Norvell being at home had nothing to do with, like, the effort that I saw from the Florida State Seminoles, right? And look at me go. It's this, it's this Friday six-pack, and I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> we're the official, you know, station of the Florida State Seminoles. So let's go ahead and pick the Florida State Seminoles. That way, if someone back in Tallahassee is listening, well, Austin Lane's got our back. Let's go <laughs> and give him all the endorsements right now because this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. And what did I say? I said you guys had two weeks to prepare for this coming off a rough loss. Like, if not now, when? Well, it ain't going to be today, and it ain't going to be tomorrow, and it probably won't be next Saturday because the effort that I saw, the offense obviously being stagnant, like, I don't know what I was watching for half the time. I know that's not get it twisted. I think Miami's going to be a heck of a team. I really do. I think, you know, they got off to a kind of a rough start a little bit that first game. Um, they, they seem to find their strides a little bit right now. Yeah, he's playing well. Yeah, King. King. Yeah. And, they, they definitely found their stride, but man. I like Diaz, too. I think yeah. he's a good coach. But you, and I think he's kind of like, he fits that mold, right? He, he fits the city wow, of Miami. He's, I mean, he's he Mr. Is, Miami. He's the epitome of it. Mr. Yeah. Miami. I mean, you might as well hire Pitbull. Probably the only better person <laughs> to hire for a Miami head coach. Regardless of that, though. Listen, you have Ed Reed hanging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. There you go. So that's pretty good, too. Uh, maybe Pitbull can coach like defense or something. Anyways, though, I think that Florida State, the energy, the effort, um, you know, just firing all cylinders, it was not – like there was nothing there for Florida State. And that should not be the case when you've had that long to prepare after a rough loss. Here's the question to me. Uh, listen, Florida State – uh, one more thought on Florida State, at least from we know they're bad. I mean, what else can you say? They're awful. Like it's not getting fixed. Like, Mike Norvell can't fix it right now. Uh, James Blackman is not it at quarterback. They obviously have issues still on the offensive line. And and to me, here's the 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 biggest thing about Florida State right now is I look at them and they have two very talented players, two gifted players, two players that are amongst the best in the 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 country mm-hmm. and are going to be in the. First round, most likely. Tamari and Terry on the offensive side, Marvin Wilson on the defensive side, and I don't even know they're on the field. That's how bad oh, Florida sorry. State is. Are you talking about the Cam Makers effect? <laughs> yes. Now, the only reason I knew Marvin Wilson was on the field is when he got off the field for targeting. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. That was it. And, and and give him credit for still playing hard. That was a heck of a play he made, even though he targeted, and, mm-hmm. and I hate targeting rule, and that's a different story. But they have two very talented guys, and I don't even know they're on the field. That's mm-hmm. how bad Florida State is right now. 
I think Florida State, what an indictment this is on Jimbo Fisher. I think Jimbo Fisher derailed this program on his way out the door, maybe worse than we've seen in in a while. Uh, that's what it looks like. Now, you combine Jimbo Fisher with a bad hire of Willie Taggart, mm. you know, because it's not just all on Jimbo Fisher. They couldn't correct it, but it's the Jimbo Fisher, the way he left this, and then Willie Taggart to me. I mean, the last three years have just been – it's unbelievable the depths they've fallen. It wasn't that long ago they won a national title, and they have every guy on their defense getting drafted and all these guys, and now they're this. But the question I have is, who had it the worst in the last decade? Mm -hmm. The Knowles right now, the Canes over the last handful of years at times, or earlier this decade when the Florida Gators went south? You know, And here's the – I'll 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 give you a little bit of a history lesson. Let's hear it. Okay. Because, you know, when coming off like 2010 and, uh, well, really 2009, 13 and 1, uh, the next few years, the Gators went 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 11 and 2. They had the one good year under Muschamp. And then they went 4 and 8 and 7 and 5. And then they hire McElwain in 17. He goes 4 and 7. So you have two options the depths of 4 and 8 under Muschamp or 4 and 7 under McElwain. Miami, meanwhile, if you look at their records, in recent years. And this is, in, by the way, a down ACC. Mm-hmm. So much easier, if you will, than uh, than the Gators have it in the SEC. In the last decade, 7-6, seven 6-6, and 7-5, six, six and six, and 9-4, and 6-7 and seven back in 2014, 8-5, and 9-4. And then last year, in 19, they were 6-7, and seven, although that's Manny Diaz's first year. So you'd probably have to go back to like 14 and Al Golden. But if you really look at Miami, they've struggled so mightily on offense, too. So it's felt even worse at times. They just don't even feel like they're in it. This doesn't feel like a, a down year and then they're rebuilding to go get it back. It hasn't felt like that in Miami for quite a long time, but especially uh, the last decade. So I give you the Gators of 13 and 17. I give you pick your year on the Canes, or I give you these last two years, really, of Florida State football. And who's had it worse? Yeah. Listen, um, once again, and I'm not sure it's, it's just so present to me, it's just so recent to me, but I'm going Florida State all day. Okay? And the reason why I say I'm going Florida State Go ahead and just throw the numbers out the window of the wins and losses and things like that. I'm kind of going from a, a more broader topic of of what I knew about football growing up in the state of Wisconsin. Okay, when I was in high school, when I was in grade school, like Florida State was one of the teams where it's like, dang man, like that's the brand, right? Like the tomahawk chop, um, the garnet and gold, like it, it meant something to be a Florida State Seminole. And even though I didn't get to see a lot of games from Florida State, like you knew if they're on TV, they're going to be great performances, right? So with that being said, Florida State was like one of the cool schools it seemed like to go to, right? Like it seemed like one of the prestige, the upper echelon schools to go to. I've used this comparison before talking about something else. I'm going to use it again here. 2005, the Texas Longhorns won a national championship. They were the coolest team. Like they, the, the state of Texas, you went to Texas. You went to UT. Hook em horns. Everyone's doing hook em horns. Vince Young put them on the map. National championship over the, the USC Trojans. With that being said, the years after that, with Mac Brown, he was there. Well, they started to falter a little bit. And then what happened? Charlie Strong came mm-hmm. in as the coach, and he didn't do any. You know, I mean, he, had, he it was a rough go for him, right? And it was kind of like the whole military tactics, quote unquote, that kind of turned recruits off a little bit. It turned the players off, 
and Texas was down in the dumps. And when you have the state of Texas, you got Texas Tech, you got A and M, you got you know uh, you got Baylor. So all of a sudden, it wasn't that cool to go to Texas anymore. Hook'em Horns was kind of dead. Now I'm going to Texas Tech. I'm going to TCU. I'm talking about all the big recruits, right? I feel like the same thing's happening right now in Florida State, where it's not that cool anymore. Like, they're getting beat so bad year after year, and the program's dying out, and you have the Florida Gators right now, and maybe some resurgence with the, with the Miami Hurricanes. Look at the recruiting classes. Look who's top 10. Look who's top 15, and then look where Florida State's at right now. Okay? So when you have a super competitive state um, of football, one of the, probably the best football states in the country, and you're, you know, ranked third out of Miami and Florida, what is that telling you right now? It's telling you that it's not cool to be a Florida State Seminole anymore. Now, with all due respect, obviously, it's still a great program, great university, but I'm just saying you're getting beat to the punch, kind of like the Texas Longhorns did way back in the day. Well, just keep in mind, Mike Norvell, when he first started at Memphis, he went 8-5 and five in his first year. There's no chance in you-know-what. Yeah. That Florida State's going eight and five. So like he hadn't gone through this. He didn't go through this. Mm-hmm. You know, he just didn't. I mean, he went twelve and one his last year, and you know, obviously they got better and better. He actually only went eight and six and eighteen. But I mean, this is going to be his worst record as a head coach, and it's going to be his fifth year. But he's going to do it at Florida State. Like, keep in mind, in the NFL, eight and eight's like average. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, in college football now, with the exception of this year because the games aren't the same, eight and four is average. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not five hundred. Like that's not a 500 thing. It, it's like eight and four is your average. That's it. Uh, and and in some cases, heck, the ACC's been so bad at times. It seems like nine and three is average. But the Miami had such an issue because they got so far away from their brand that was like Miami was the coolest thing. The yeah. U, every the bad boy image, and they were so good, and they got. They've been away from that for 20 years now, and they've been trying to resurrect it. And they, Mark Rick showed a flash of it. I think they got up to, like, number two in the country at one time. Mm-hmm. And now Manny Diaz, again, I don't know how good they are, but I think they're back on the rise. I think, And everybody's always asked the question, are they going to get back to it? No, because really I don't think college football allows you to get back to where the U was. I, I don't think you're going to get back to that, even that kind of reputation. You almost don't want that <laughs> anymore in college football. <laughs> you know, Especially in the social media era. Yeah, you gotta be so you yeah. got to be a little careful of it. The Gators would have astounded me after Urban Meyer and obviously Tebow and all that talent that they had. Mm-hmm. What astounded everybody, not just me, is that they couldn't find like a wide receiver at mm-hmm. Florida. You're playing football in the state of Florida. More talent than maybe anybody else in the country. And at the University of Florida, they couldn't find like a wide receiver for like five years. They couldn't get them. Yeah. Now they got a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. They also just couldn't coach because they had offensive linemen that ended up playing in the NFL and still are, sure. but they were awful Great on the offensive line. line. And they also had quarterbacks that went on to other places and are still playing in the NFL or or they just flat out missed. Mm-hmm. Quarterback's always a big part of this. And Miami's missed on quarterbacks, quarterbacks for a long time. Derek King might be the guy that helps bring it back. Florida hits on Kyle Trask, but I also think they really hit on Dan Mullen. That's the other thing, right? If you can really get that coach that fits and is yeah. good, well, then Mullen becomes that. Florida State, now I'm watching them the other day, and it's like, I tweeted this. How in the state of Florida do you get this bad on offense? Like, how do you get that bad offensively in the state of Florida? If they wanted to recruit just Jacksonville, just Jacksonville on offense, they wouldn't be this bad. Like, yeah. it's hard. You could just pick one area code, and you could, in this state, 
and and recruit on offense, and you wouldn't be as bad as you look right now on offense at Florida State. Yeah. It's unbelievable to me. Listen, to answer this question, too, like I can go back and say, well, Florida had the national championships, right? And then, uh, you know, uh, Jimbo won some championships um, with Florida State. And you can say, we well, can go back way back with Miami, and they won some championships. But I want to talk about the bad. Like, who's bad? If we're trying to answer this question right now, and who had the, the lowest point of the past decade, Gators, Canes, or Knowles? You have to ask yourself, who's bad was the worst? Like, who, when the chips were down and the, all these teams were bad, who's bad was the worst? I tell you, it, it's like, it's a what have you done for me lately kind of question, right? So a mm-hmm. lot of people right now are like, man, I saw that the other day, and that was bad in Florida. I never looked that bad. And I, I tweeted this to somebody. I said, you got a short memory mm-hmm. because Florida was bad. It was disgustingly bad. Like, between Jacksonville and Florida, like in the Gabbert year, they both couldn't get 150 yards of offense. Mm-hmm. Like, they couldn't move the football. It was gross. So it's very comparable, believe it or not, to what Florida State is going to through right now. I think the crazy thing is maybe the thing that's setting this apart is one that's historic lows for Florida State because they did so many good things, winning seasons, bowl games. They've had all those streaks snapped. And now you're going on three years of disaster. That's a long stretch. Even Muschamp, who went four and four and eight, he had the one boom, one year where he popped. Yeah. Right. McIlwain looked okay, And then they had the four win. And now Mullins got him winning again. It's hard to go three straight years of being crappy. Now, Miami had a lot of mediocre in there, but they never got to like a four win season. It's always been six or seven, eight, seven, six, you know, yeah. so they've kind of been muddied in the middle. So I don't think they fit the lowest of no, lows. I agree. But Florida of 14 and seven or 13 and 17. And now this Florida State team, I believe, are very comparable okay. uh, in that sense. But I just think the long run of it now, two years plus, two coaches plus. I think Florida State might win this argument in that and sense. That's your answer, yeah. Um, and I don't know. Again, you have a short memory if you think it's a slam dunk. Florida State has this answer. Yeah. Because 17 Jim McElwain and 13 Muschamp were awful. Like, it was disgusting uh, here in the state of Florida. And I, I use a lot of it because I've seen on social media or a lot of people like Florida, Florida State. And I'm not rooting for either one. Sure. But the temperature of it, you can feel it. And you felt it for Florida for a while there. Yeah. And now you're feeling it for Florida State. And the Gator fans love it now, and the Knowles fans loved it then. <laughs> True. Yeah, for sure. Uh, wow. Uh, there's your little FSU at four, college football. We're going to talk more college football because the Mike Leach stuff was fun. It's awesome. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're going to ring that bell a little yeah. bit later on today. Back to the NFL we go, though. Who's really good? Do we know after three weeks? Who's really bad? And if you want Trevor Lawrence, I got one thing for you, Jacksonville. You ain't getting you got, like, no chance at it. I think that's been proven three weeks into the NFL season. It's coming up next on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. Uh, Daniel uh, says, we went from hot Cheetos to shampoo, raising the intellectual portion of the show. Austin Lane. I'm wearing a sleeveless T-shirt. What more do you want from us, man? Like, I mean, it's Friday. We never said we're intellectual. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent. I think uh, just from experience playing this game, um, obviously, you know, practice throughout the week, you don't get reps, so you're constantly getting mental reps and uh, being prepared and running the scout team, just trying to play ball. And it really came down to, you know, we were down by a little bit, and our defense did a great job of holding them. And uh, just going out there, playing ball, trusting guys, watching the defense, watching the secondary, getting us good plays if we need be and executing. Um, you know, the way I approach the game is one play at a time, so it's not easy coming in cold like that. But if you can approach it with the mindset, hey, just one play at a time, you can't get all the points back in one throw, um, that helps a lot. 
The Jaguars should never have traded Nick Foles. Right. You, what, are you, what are you trying to do this show right now, man? <laughs> like, what are you trying to do? We saw like an hour and change left, and now you're going to throw this nonsense out there. By the way, though, you look good. <clears throat> you look pretty good. Is it like every other team now for Nick Foles? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I was wa- I was watching that game because uh, it was when I, th- I think it was like on regular TV, you know, whatever they call it, but like it was in our area, let's just say. And I was watching that game, and obviously Trubisky was doing Trubisky things. I'm like, all right, easy win for the Falcons. Welcome to the land of one and two. And then Foles comes in, and he actually he had a touchdown that got called uh, called off from Allen Robinson because it was an interception. It was like yeah. a 50-50 ball. But like, dude, even with that, that throw, call. but even with that throw, I'm like, oh, this is I've seen this story before. And then you saw how it transpired from there. St. Nick, man, touching down Chicago now. He actually could have had five touchdown passes in the second half because yeah. they dropped the one over the middle. Yeah, I and, mean, and the guys were in a. Did you see the swing he was rocking yeah, too? But didn't he take it off? Because like oh, the first I yeah, possession, maybe. I think he had it, and yeah. then after that, I didn't see it. Yeah. So was that a situation where they were staying on the sidelines trying to look cool and all of a sudden you got out there like the visor wasn't I don't working know if it for was you? just an angle that I saw him from yeah. like the second time. Then I never really looked again or yeah. paid attention to it much anymore. But like the first time was like clear visor. Yeah. The second time I saw him, I was like, oh, he must have taken did yeah, he take dude, the visor off. Dude, dude had a little swag to him, man. You know, like he kind of went from like a guidance counselor or like a Bible like teacher from here in Jacksonville, and now he's like the Fonz out there, man, with all that swag. Here's what concerns me about coaches. This is what would concern me if I'm in Chicago about mm-hmm. my coach. And they might be concerned about a lot of things. And they're 3-0. and and, and Not I think, much to be concerned about when you're 3-0. Come on, that is the most tepid 3-0 and ever. They're still very concerned. Oh, do you think we look back in the history books, we talk about 3-0 and teams, and be like, well, remember how those Chicago Bears, remember how that trans... No, they're 3-0. and I'm just telling you, if you don't think they're concerned, they'd feel a little bit different about their 3-0 and than like Seattle and... You know, Green Bay feels about their three. You know, I sure. Think. But I mean, if I'm Seattle, I'm worried about my defense. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. All right. So anyway, okay. Chicago, they love their team. I'd still be concerned about my coach, and here's why. Okay. I don't. First of all, I disagreed with the move in the first place. Now it turns out to be a good move. You disagreed with what? What move? At halftime, or second half, coming out with Foles, putting Foles in. Yeah. Okay. Well, well because you're two and zero. Oh, okay. And okay. It wasn't going great, but he had 10 points on the board. I mean, you score 20 points in the NFL, you usually give yourself a chance to win if you go 10-10. But it wasn't looking good, but it wasn't all on, on Trubisky either. But I'm just saying, if it doesn't, you got to think about it this way, because now we have the, obviously, revisionist history. Mm-hmm. But if Foles comes out and they still are 26-10, to 10, right, and, mm-hmm. and he comes and throws a couple picks, maybe even throws a touchdown, but it's 26-16, they lose the game, mm-hmm. then... You've created a mess on a team that's two and one. Like you've created this situation. So my overall point is I didn't agree with it at first. Now he had the gut, and then I love the fact that he does this. It's like, well, I'm going to look, come back, fly back to Chicago tonight. We'll take a look. What do you mean? You know who's starting next week. You know who's starting for the rest of the year. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, Nick Foles is starting after that performance. Mm. But the reason why I'd have some concern is I don't understand. How you could go through a whole preseason, trade for Nick Foles, spend the amount of dollars you're spending for Nick Foles, and determine that Mitchell Trubisky was your starting quarterback this year. I don't understand. And then two and a half quarters in, now he's not. That's I have a I would have a concern with my head coach's decision making. Like I don't know how he came to that decision. 
That listen, doesn't concern you at all for no, Chicago? No, because, for them? listen, if I'm the GM, and I'm not sure who's making these calls. I assume it's Nagy, but I'm sure the GM, Ryan Pace, had something to do with it. If you're Ryan Pace right now and you're on the thinnest of all the thin ice, because keep in mind who you drafted. You drafted right out of West Virginia, first-round pick, uh, wide receiver, gone. You drafted Leonard Floyd, first-round pick out of uh, the, the uh, out of uh, Georgia, Georgia, gone. You drafted Mitchell Trubisky. You bypassed Deshaun Watson. You bypassed Patrick Mahomes to draft Mitchell Trubisky. He is what he is. So if I'm Ryan Pace right now, I'm worried about my job. And I think this was a case right here with the Chicago Bears where you gave Mitchell Trubisky the benefit of the doubt. If it was neck and neck, which I don't think it really was, but I just think if it was neck and neck, you go with Trubisky. He's accustomed there. He's the leader, quote-unquote, in that locker room, and you let him roll it out to try to make yourself look at least a halfway decent and save face in terms of, listen, I'm the GM of this team. Yes. I drafted Mitchell Trubisky. Yes. Look it. He beat out Nick Foles. Look it. We're 2-0 and right now. It is what it is. I agree with Nagy for benching him at halftime because right before that half, it, it, it was the nail in the coffin. Now, keep in mind, I think he was 13 of 22. Okay, he had some shaky throws for sure. Um, going back to the Giants game, it was probably his best game, 18 of 28, and then his first game, 20 of 36. Regardless of that, though, he threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I, I like I watched that play right before the half, and I'm like, what what was what was going through his head? Like it looked like he had the yips with that interception. So to me, it was a no brainer because you're down by that much in Atlanta. You're going to the locker room at halftime. The last thing you remember of that half is the one of the worst interceptions probably in Bears history. But of course you got to go Nick Foles. But of course you got to get some kind of injection, some kind of life in this offense. Because guess what? If you're Jim Nagy, you are an offensive-minded guy. You came from Andy Reid. We're supposed to see the, this quarterback guru here. We're supposed to see the Chicago Bears score a lot of points. Fantasy people want blood. We haven't seen that. So when Nick Foles went in, you saw a little resurgence. You saw a little new uh, kind of echelon of the Chicago Bears. They start going spread a little more. Nick Foles does his thing. And it's a brand-new Bears team. So I, I agree with Nagy for benching Mitch Trubisky. I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, it obviously was the right decision. My point is I just don't understand how you can bench the guy 10, 10 quarters in after he's 2-0 and oh, without – I don't understand how you started him in the first place. That's my point. Like, how did you come to the decision that Mitchell Trubisky was going to be your starting quarterback? Like, he wasn't going to last, especially with the investment you just made on Nick Foles. I mean, it it, it it's boggling to me, mind-boggling to me that that happens. I mean, at the end of the day, listen, if you want to talk about starting him right away, the guy did have a pretty, I mean, his completion pressure was kind of trash, but he went, yeah, it wasn't great. but he had three touchdowns against the Lions. Lions just intercepted Kyler Murray how many times? Like, he looked okay to start things off with, and he just declined from yeah. that. I mean, you can spin everything. He had, yeah. three, he had three, three, three fourth quarter touchdowns against the Lions. The first three mm-hmm. quarters were garbage. Yeah. And they beat the Giants who were terrible, but they still only scored like 20 points, mm-hmm. I, I think, in that game. 21-16 or something like that, maybe it was. So, Listen, I think Foles is the right guy for them. Yeah. I just don't know how you started Trubisky in the first place. Because That's it, my whole beat. Because if you're a GM, you're always tied to the quarterback, right? And it was Ryan Pace's idea to bring Mitch Trubisky in. And he gave up a lot of draft capital to do that. So you got to squeeze. You have to ride every single ounce of Mitch Trubisky until you can't anymore. It just got to be too much at the end of uh, that first half of the, in Atlanta where it's like, dude, we can't take anymore. Put Nick Foles in. Will there be another quarterback replacement in the league this year? Uh, Tua. Think Tua comes in? Yeah, that's probably more I'd have to think about. It. I mean, I Sam know, Darnold. Many, I don't know if he's going to last. How many quarterbacks have you get their lungs blown out by needles? 
Yeah, good. Point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Justin Herbert. Yeah. Herbert and Herbert's played okay. Playing good. Okay, uh, okay, okay. You're not ready. Well, you, you and this. Well, they scored 16 points, man. I know. I, know. I mean, I hear you. against Carolina. Yeah. I mean, he threw for 300 yards, but they scored 16 points. Now they should have won on that play. Yep. That would have been a heck of a finish. Yep. Uh, to yeah, that chaos. Was that was that Eckler's fault or was that is that, that Keenan's fault? Oh, gotta catch that ball, man. I, I know. Catch I, know. That I know. Ball. I know. That was Eckler's fault. That was all a great day. play design, though. And by the way, Carolina is so pissed off now because that hurts their tanking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Matt rules like catch <laughs> the ball, on, Eckler. Catch it, Eckler. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. We'll have more questions about the NFL, including how does Dan Quinn survive this start and some more about who's good, who's bad in the NFL. It's on the way on ESPN six ninety.